about the Prevail office in Noblesville, and I am with Susan Ferguson, who is the executive director of Prevail, and also Sarah Rohrbach, who was a primary prevention specialist for Prevail. Ladies, uh, thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule to speak with me today. Yeah, thank you. I'm going to uh, ask Sarah, Susan to start if I can, uh, mm-hmm. because Prevail, I think I know what Prevail is about. It's in located in Noblesville, but you deal with the whole county and even outside uh, Hamilton County at times. So I want you to talk about the organization itself. Yeah, so Prevail is a comprehensive victim services provider, and so we work with victims of crime and abuse here in the county. So sometimes that's victims of domestic violence and sexual assault, but we also do serve other victims of crime. So maybe someone who has a family member who's died by homicide or they've experienced a home invasion or a robbery. Um, And we provide a variety of services for that population. So um, we hope to provide or connect people with services that um, meet any need that they have through that process. And and Sarah, you obviously deal with these sorts of subjects as uh, just just as your title would say, primary prevention specialist. Tell us what you're preventing. Yes. So um, my position is a little bit unique in that most of the people employed through Prevail work on the advocacy side of things. So working directly with survivors, but I get the fortune of working on the prevention side of things. So what we're really trying to focus on is preventing violence before it ever happens, before someone has to come to a place like Prevail. So I need to ask this question because I've Mm -hmm. talked to the police department and more than one department about this. Do you use technology to any great extent in prevention? Or if if it is uh, an impact on your job, tell us how. Yeah, um, using using technology and prevention like spreading the word. However you use However, it. yeah, I would say that in in prevention specifically, we really want to reach the most amount of people possible. So a lot of times that could be like spreading awareness through campaigns. Um, we have a big Go Purple campaign that we do here. Um, so kind of just raising awareness around the issue. And then obviously we want to target kids too, because we want to get them, get people when they're young and really try to build those protective factors. So things that prevent violence, things that protect them, give them, you know, a good and supportive life. Um, And so technology is where kids are. So we definitely use technology on that realm as well. Do you think you're getting through? We hope so. Yes, I would say. (laughs) It's, It's a hard thing to do, isn't it? It is. Um, And I would say that in the community, oftentimes, if people haven't recognized us for the work with survivors, oftentimes people recognize us for going into schools and talking to kids about healthy relationships, dating violence, that kind of stuff. So it definitely is an approach that resonates, I think, with a lot of people because people want their kids to grow up and be in healthy relationships and kind of be (laughs) well-rounded humans. So, yes. Yes, the... Uh, father of twin daughters, now 27. Mm-hmm. I know how that process works. Those years are behind us now. They yep. are adults now. But Sarah, ask, I want to ask you about the history of the organization. I'm not Sarah, Susan, I'm sorry. Um, talk about the history of the organization. It's been around for 35 years. Talk about how it was started. It is an independent nonprofit, although you 
clearly work with a lot of other institutions uh, within the county and elsewhere. So talk about your history and how you got to where you are today. Yeah, thir- we're proud to be celebrating our 35th anniversary this year. And um, so we were started in 1986, which actually in the country was a time when a lot of domestic violence serving organizations were starting, um, because that's about the time that we were really started um, a movement towards ending domestic violence and laws were changing and things like that. So at the time, um, actually Beth Galhausen, who is our founder, who's now the executive director at Meals on Wheels here in Hamilton County, and also um, Steve Nation, who at the time was the prosecutor in the county, um, worked together, recognized that there was a need uh, that wasn't being met and that there was a way we could better serve victims in the community. And so they um, did some fundraising and secured some grants to start Prevail. And so since that time, we have had some common things. Certainly there have been some programs that have come and gone, like all of us over 35 years, there's some changes. But consistently through that 35 years, we have provided services to victims of domestic violence and sexual assault and um, have tried to meet that need here in the community. Yes, I know uh, Judge Nation. Uh, mm-hmm. who's now retired from judgeship and is yes. now serves on the Hamilton County Council. I remember meeting him one time, and we sat and talked for an hour. Mm-hmm. The man is is a wealth of, of knowledge and, and uh, very involved in a lot of these issues that you're talking about. Yes. Whoever wants to take this question, um, primary service you provide is, is being an advocate for those who are victimized by various types of abuse. So, so talk about how you go about doing that. Yeah. So we have uh, what we call advocates here at Prevail, and an advocate is not a therapist or counselor. So we provide services that are more what we call psychoeducational and trauma-informed. So all of our advocates have a lot of training about dealing with people who have experienced trauma, and they are providing more educational support. So education about safety planning, for instance, how do we get get and stay safe? Um, Education around coping skills or how to manage the trauma that we've experienced, Um, some education about kind of next steps in that process. The other thing, uh, the other side of that, not only managing personally or in support groups and things, but also through the court system. So a lot of victims are also uh, faced with having to testify against their assailant. Um, And then also in self-sufficiency. So in domestic violence, one of the reasons that people stay in those situations is because it's not safe for them to leave financially or physically. So we want to help them overcome some of those obstacles as well. Yes, that, that it's, it's sad that these are the same issues. I've covered this for years. as a, I worked as a reporter making made a living at that years ago, and uh, those were the same issues we had in the 1970s, early 80s, when when I was covering these, these kinds of issues. Mm-hmm. You know, these unhealthy and uh, abusive relationships – Certainly, it's it's very damaging to the person, the family, even a group of people. But and this has an impact on the entire community, mm-hmm. I think, or the various communities. And, you know, in Hamilton County, I'll just tell you what I think, just my observation. We, people think we're kind of special. Mm-hmm. You know, we're wealthier mm-hmm. than most, I think, any county in mm-hmm. the state of Indiana. So, obviously, this never happens here, right? That seems to be... Uh, the idea that people have, but the more I have dug into this, uh, I hear stories that it's 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 here as much as it is anywhere else. So let me ask you this: When you have a situation, how do you find out about it? I mean, sometimes the victims won't come to you. Is it relatives, friends, school system employees? Tell me how you find out about some of these 
abusive relationships? Yeah, um, we have lots of partners in the community. Uh, So for sure, we work with law enforcement. We have a program called the Lethality Assessment Program where we, they, um, Law enforcement officers on the scene of a domestic violence incident will do a screening, and if the person screens in at a high risk of death because of domestic violence, then they call us and connect us um, on the scene with that victim. Um, we do work with schools and certainly get a lot of referrals from schools. Um, we work with other social service providers, hospitals. So all of those traditional things, we definitely hear that way. But honestly, the most uh, when we have collected this information from people who come to Prevail, the most reported um, way that people get connected with us is they say a friend or family member told them to come to prevail. So it's the word is out that this this is the place mm-hmm. to go. So mm-hmm. that must make you feel pretty good that that people have the confidence to refer their friends and relatives. For sure. That's yeah. certainly one of the best compliments is that somebody says uh, prevail helped me. I think they could help you too. Mm-hmm. I mentioned this before we started recording, that this is the not the first time I've been to Prevails. A few years ago, I was here to do a podcast with one of your staff members, Brittany Weinbar, and Jocelyn Vare, who now is sits on the uh, Fisher City Council. And, and they had a special project with uh, their group at the Hamilton County Leadership Academy. And, and their project was teen dating violence. Mm-hmm. And they took it on as kind of a public relations campaign letting people know that this is out there and it needs to be handled. So is this, what to what extent is, is teen dating violence, you think, still a problem based on what you see? Yeah, we certainly have not been successful in eliminating that. <laughs> but well, elimination is a pretty right. high stop bar <laughs> For sure. there. Yeah. Um, so no, I absolutely still think that teen dating violence is an issue here. It does get some attention. So um, we are able to do a lot of education in schools and actually – some of those programs have helped us develop those relationships with schools where now we're even providing support groups during the school day for kids who have experienced that. Um, certainly one of the things that we deal with and where we've seen some of this grow is obviously in technology abuse. And you probably hear more and more about that. Kids just have at their fingertips at any moment ways to, um, that can be really used really positively, but also in if it can be mishandled, that technology can be mishandled. I can't even I, I can't even imagine. I guess I could imagine some of the ways that could be done. But bullying is part of it. But mm-hmm. but uh, that is a form of violence, is it not? When when you get threat, when when you use text messaging or or a public kind of Facebook or whatever the kids used. To, I know they don't use Facebook anymore. Yeah, but the, right. whatever the young people use today is their platform. Uh, you know, publicly shaming or publicly. Uh, um, I don't know what the word is, but just just making somebody's reputation tarnished as a result of that, that's a serious threat. Absolutely. And we see we certainly see that. And one of the things that we talk about, and even with Sarah's work in primary prevention, is we can see some of those patterns start really early, and it might be called bullying. But that power and control that somebody is trying to take as they are, a, you know, maybe a kindergarten or a third grade bully is going may transfer into the same control that happens in a dating relationship, and then the same control that happens as an adult in domestic violence. So the earlier that we can reach kids and help them with those skills to be able to better interact with other humans in their lives, then the more likely we are to prevent some of these issues in the future. I want to move to something else because uh, the Hamilton County Council recently took a its first step in authorizing basically a building design for a domestic 
violent shelter in our county. As I mentioned the two of you before we started, I've been writing about this for <laughs> years. And every time I ask, oh, it's, you know, we're working on it. Yes. And I think we've been working on it for years. I, uh, so now it looks like the first step has been taken. It's not done by any means, but it's, a, it's a, to, for the county council to authorize the uh, money be spent to at least design a building is, a, is at least a step in the right direction. Why do you think it's taken a place like Hamilton County so long to do this? That is a great question. And I can think of probably a hundred different ways to answer that. So I've been one of those people. I've been at Prevail for eight years and have said many times, we're working on it. So um, here's the deal. Um, we want to look at a broader plan than just shelter. Shelter solves a problem for a night or for a really short-term stay. But here in Hamilton County, we need to look at a longer-term solution to this. And so, yes, we do need that immediate, what are we going to do tonight because um, I need to get out of a dangerous situation. We do need to solve that shelter problem, but we also need to help people with what the next step is. So if I can, can only stay here for 30 or 60 or 90 days or even longer, what do I do then? And so we're creating at Prevail a comprehensive housing solutions plan that includes the emergency shelter, the transitional time, and then the path to self-sufficiency. Um, so we want to make sure that people are able, if we're going to put them up in shelter here in Hamilton County, we want them to be able to stay in Hamilton County. And and if that's not a possibility, then why not use a shelter in Madison County or Marion County or someplace else if that's where they're going to have to live later anyway? Well, that's my next question. Mm -hmm. So when you have someone and, and, and you know they need shelter now for whatever length of time, where and, and then here in Hamilton County, and you're, they've been referred to you, where, where do you place them? Yeah, so there actually is a shelter uh, designated for Hamilton County and its alternatives, which is located in Anderson. So they are the designated Hamilton County domestic violence shelter. Um, it just isn't located in Hamilton County. So we do often work with alternatives to get people housed there. Um, if they're full or for whatever reason, it doesn't make sense for the survivor to go to alternatives, then we have lots of other shelters all over the state that we can coordinate with. I will tell you that over the past year with COVID and lots of shelters, communal living is not a great, great plan when um, you're trying to prevent a pandemic. Um, so uh, with those limited numbers, it was a really hard time for us to find spots and shelters. So we did create a uh, hotel voucher program as well. So we are putting um, survivors up in hotels for really, really like day, mm -hmm. three or four day stays in hotels until we can get them to someplace safe. And that is interesting that uh, there's some people that want to be close to home and others that say, I'd like to get as far away as I can. So you try to deal with both situations, depending on the facts you have before you, I assume. That's absolutely right. We, um, One of our philosophies is around empowerment, and we want the survivor to be able to make choices about their situation. So we want to work with them to find something that works. I want to kind of come back to something I mentioned before, because I think there's, there's a, a feeling that is not accurate based on all the work I have done and and, and taught and I, I'm no expert myself so what I do is I talk to people who know like you who who experience this every day and understand this so explain if you can how domestic violence impacts all social and economic groups right um, very important point and so we hear that a lot wow why you know some people are saying we need a Hamil uh, domestic violence shelter in Hamilton County and then there's some people are saying do we really because it doesn't really happen here so um, we serve here at prevail 
almost 4,000 people a year, and half of them have experienced domestic domestic violence. So that's 2,000 people a year here in Hamilton County that are coming through our doors who have experienced domestic violence. Um, so we know it's happening here. I will tell you that there are different dynamics. Certainly, there are some that you probably would pick out, you know, whatever movie you've seen or whatever your perception is of domestic violence. That probably happens here, too. But some unique dynamics are um, that even when it's a wealthy family, if only one person is controlling all the finances, that doesn't leave the person who is experiencing the abuse a lot of choices. So if I don't have access to the financial resources, then I can't just take my kids and go and find, you know, someplace else to stay. Um, and that's even, and we find that financial control, even in those cases where the victim is working, it's still oftentimes an abuser who's controlling that income. So financial abuse is a big piece of this isolation, which I'm, we hear about all the time in Hamilton County that we, um, we've had lots of assessments of the county that say we are not well connected. So um, even though we may have financial resources, we may not have friends and neighbors and relatives that we can depend on, especially since a lot of people have moved to this area. They didn't, you know, we haven't spent a lifetime here. Um, so all of those dynamics kind of together make it, uh, make, might make domestic violence look a little bit different here, but it absolutely still happens. Yeah, even if you have someone who seems to be doing very well financially, uh, perhaps there are people in that home who do not feel like they could leave that home. And that lifestyle is something they don't want to give up. I mean, there are a lot of factors that go into this, how people stay in abusive relationships. Yeah, absolutely. And and when kids are involved, if I have a choice between staying in my, whatever, 3,000 square foot house or moving my kids to one room in a shelter, I might not want to leave. Um, or at least I have to make a really good de- good assessment of what my choices are. I want to bring Sarah in here now because I know you have a, a program coming up. It's part of the Spark Fishers Festival. We're excited in Fishers. We get to have a festival this year. Yeah, Last so year, most, most of them were, were canceled. We weren't the only one by any means. But uh, since it is back on June 26, you have what's called a Chalk It Up art contest. Mm-hmm. I'd like to hear more about that. Yeah, so Chalk It Up is an annual uh, chalk art contest through uh, prevent- a prevention program called 100 Men, which is the program that I coordinate, which I can tell you a little bit about that and then tell you about Chalk It Up. So um, historically, domestic violence, you know, gender-based violence has been a women's issue, you know, something that um, is often regarded as we've got this, we're going to handle it. It's often made up mainly of female identified people who do this work. Um, And so we really want to step in that gap and say, no, we need all people on the board of, um, you know, making this change and really trying to make a big impact. So 100 Men really tries to engage good men in our community to stand up and say, like, we are not okay with this and we want to set that positive example. So that's 100 men. Mm-hmm. That's, and so when, when you do the art contest, explain how that works. Yeah. So Chalk It Up is, um, like I said, it's an annual event that we've had a couple of different times and we've done it a couple of different ways. So I'm really excited to partner with Spark Fishers because we're going to be doing it in and around their kids zone. So it's going to be super fun for the kids. There's going to be like rock climbing walls and just everything that you can imagine that would be fun. Um, there's different different spaces for the kids to go and we're challenging them to draw a picture, an image, words, whatever their heart's desires um, as it relates to the theme of connection. You know, I'm, I, I am the senior member of this group <laughs> and have lived on the earth a long time. And I, as far back as I can remember, 
kids particularly and people in general have been doing artwork with chalk on sidewalks. Mm -hmm. So this is not a new thing. No, definitely not. It's super easy. It's cheap and it washes away, which people love. (laughs) (laughs) That's right. It's not there forever. The chalk that does not design to to last forever. So June 26th is the date. Uh, If you want to get involved, do you have to sign up for it or show up or how does that work? So we have um, about a hundred squares available for kids K through 12. So, you know, 12th graders are not going to be competing against kindergarten. We do have different age brackets for kids, and we've got a lot of really fun prizes, too. Um, So we're encouraging pre-registration just in case the squares get taken, but we'll also accept walk-ups at the day, too. You you mentioned about men and women being involved. I remember the first time I ever did a a lengthy story, and this was going back to the late 70s about abuse, the first phone call I received was from a man Mm. who wanted to know about men that were being abused. Mm -hmm. And I went to the the lady who I had used as my source, she goes, oh, I got plenty of examples of that. This is not an entirely male. It is It is largely a male issue as far as being the abuser, but women can be abusive as well. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And we recognize that here. I mean, we see people of all different genders, all different walks of life that come through our doors. And um, But we also understand that, like you said, a lot of abusers are men. And so we want we want those good men to stand up and say, this isn't all of us, right? Like we, um, we can be strong leaders in this and say that we, we raise our children right, we treat each other right, we treat our neighbors right, um, and that's really what, what we want people to take away from the group. We'll go back to Susan for a moment because you have a celebration of hope uh, event coming up on August 21st. That's a little further out, but it's still this summer. Again, this goes back to the 35 years that uh, you have been in existence. So tell us about that. Yeah. So we, uh, last year, like everybody and like Spark Fishers, we had to cancel uh, all of our fundraising events. So we're super excited that we are planning this one to be fully in person. Um, And so, yes, August 21st at the Renaissance in Carmel, information on our website would definitely encourage people to check that out. This is our biggest fundraiser of the year. And this year being our 35th anniversary, we hope it's bigger than Do you have uh, room for other people to be involved? Absolutely. Yes. As as volunteers, because uh, we do have a planning committee that's putting this all together. And then, of course, if you want to attend and we're still looking for business sponsorships, too. So, um, yes, would love for people to inquire about that. And what's that website again? Uh, we are at prevailinc.org. So P-R-E-V-A-I-L-I-N-C dot O-R-G. Okay. Very good. I'm going to ask each of you this question. I'll ask Sarah to come back in if if she can. Um, You do so much. And when I looked at your website, I just thought, what am I going to ask? Because you do so much, I don't know how I can zero in on it. But at least in your sphere of work here, uh, can you think of one thing that uh, Prevail is doing locally that maybe most people do not know? Yeah, so I would say a lot of people don't understand or recognize or know in general about our prevention programming here. Um, Just understanding that prevention is possible is kind of that first step. I think a lot of people have this kind of notion that violence is inevitable and it's going to happen, but we don't think that. We do think that it is possible to prevent violence. Um, And so just all of the different programs that we have, I don't think that a lot of people know about. And so that's why I love to get get the chance to tell people that, yes, prevention is possible and Prevail is doing something about it. I'll ask Susan the same question. 
Yeah, I um, probably should have mentioned earlier when we were talking about shelter, but Prevail also has, as part of that housing solutions plan, we have what's called a rapid rehousing program as well. So while this doesn't meet the immediate need, like I need to get out of my house tonight, but it is a um, specifically funding for people who are fleeing domestic violence, um, and we can help them with uh, rent support for up to a year. So that really gives people an opportunity to kind of, whether it's build up their income, uh, work on credit repair, um, whatever they need to become self-sufficient. So we do have a rapid rehousing program here. I don't think most people know about that, and it's relatively new to us too. And then the other thing I wanted to mention also is that we are uh, now calling our advocates mobile advocates. So um, I've always said there's no magic that happens in this building, uh, it's, or it's not about the building that the magic happens. So we can do things elsewhere. So we want to make sure that our services are safe and convenient for the people that need them. So we are looking at um, kind of alternative ways to provide those services as well. You mentioned housing, and, yeah. and I do want to ask about that because uh, I've talked to both of the uh, township trustees and Fishers. We sort of sat, straddled two different townships uh, in Fishers, uh, Fall Creek and, and Delaware, mm-hmm. and and their job is to deal with poverty, deal with people who are on hard times. And I know housing is a real challenge, so I'm I'm sure it's with you as well because Hamblin County. In general, I mean, it's heavily kind of a lot of different. I mean, you go north, it's a, it's different than it is south. But in general, housing is pretty expensive here. How much of a uh, problem is that for you when you're trying to deal with people in need of housing? Yeah, uh, obviously that comes up. And especially when we're dealing with families who may be going from a two-income family to a one-income family and trying to make sure that they can stay in their same community, that their kids can go to the same schools. Um yeah, it's a challenge. And we are working on, a, I'm part of a housing collaborative that's working here with the trustees uh, are involved in that as well, to really look at how can we create uh, and have a long term plan for attainable what we're calling attainable housing here in Hamilton County. So people who work in Hamilton County and whose kids go to school here should be able to live here. And so we want to make sure that we have housing that is attainable for anyone who's here. And I've heard so many times that issue just brought up about when you have a family and you have children in school, when you uproot, they're already going through enough trauma as it is when you uproot them and and put them in another school that they can't be around their own friends and and what's familiar to them within the school community. If you have to take them out of that, that's tough. So I know every effort's made, but it's... It's getting tougher to, to do that. I know the rental market in Fishers is, and Carmel and Westfield, and I'm sure Noblesville has its own issues there, and, and, and that's why I, I ask. Yeah. So I'm going to ask each of you just to, one more chance. I'm going to ask Sarah to start. Uh, just add anything you want to add, anything you want to mention. I've tried to ask a few questions, but just uh, anything you'd like to add to the discussion before we wrap it up. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, one other upcoming event that uh, is kind of a save at the save the date stage at the moment is we're actually going to be having a men's leadership summit this fall in September. That's going to be hosted um, at the Cambridge in West or Cambria. Goodness, Cambria. Thank you. Okay. Sorry. The Cambria in Westfield on September 11th. So it's a Saturday um, from about nine to noon. And we're really just going to be talking about how we can break the traditional mold of what it means to be a male leader in the community. Thank you, Sarah. Mm-hmm. Susan, same, th- same question. I guess I just want to add, um, make sure people know that there are ways to support Prevail. So watch us on social media. You can get connected with all kinds of things, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, um, and then check out our website and sign up for our e-newsletter so that you can follow what's going on there. And then, of course, we always have opportunities for volunteers. So if people are interested, reach out. Um, 
Yeah, and just a quick note that 25% of our budget comes from generous people that support us. So I will remind you that donations are helpful as well. <laughs> as a nonprofit, uh, you are a 501c3, which means Correct. at least there's a potential for a charitable contribution. It's, tax laws have changed a little, but you can still take up to $300 of a uh, charitable contribution, whether you itemize or not. So that's correct. So you, you know, this can be your charity for your that uh, one of the or a handful of charities you want to support. It could certainly, and you still get a little tax deduction for it. I want to thank both of you for uh, spending time with me. Sarah Rohrbach is a primary prevention specialist, and Susan Ferguson is the executive director. They're both here at Prevail in Noblesville. Ladies, thank you so much. Thank, thank you. you.